Okay, good morning, everyone. Oh, yeah, one more announcement before we start. Tomorrow night, we have an um, unusual and hopefully productive conference call slash webcast. Naomi Berger, who is a uh, phenomenal local therapist who's really had a, a fantastically successful um, string with, with people I've sent to her, at least. Um, she and I will be having a very frank and open conversation about intimacy in marriage. Um, we're specifically doing it that people can call in anonymously from the comfort of their homes. Couples can listen together. You could also watch together live. You could send in anonymous questions as it's going on so there's no stigma attached, there's no excuse. You can be cooking for Shabbos and be talking about intimacy or listening to a talk about intimacy. So it's tomorrow night at 8.30. Details are on the weekly or on Facebook. We're in that flyer, but um, it's an area of marriage which is so critically important to be healthy, for marriage to be healthy, and unfortunately there is a lot of struggle in this area. So you or your children or grandchildren or friends or neighbors, you can tell them about it and they can call in. Okay, we continue with our Amuna series. Yes. Um, again, the Amuna Shiram are dedicated anonymously, sponsored anonymously in memory for Elias Neshama of Shendel Gittel Bas Chaim Shaul. Last week we began the Slonim Rebbe on Amuna. We did the entire first page of your booklet, which is his introduction to the topic of Amuna. And uh, if you recall... Here, the Slonim Rebbe of Shalom Nach Brzovsky Zatzal described living a life of Amuna as living a life in color. Without Amuna, without belief in the Almighty, without feeling His divine presence in your life, His guiding hand on your shoulder, without feeling that there's meaning and order and purpose to all that occurs to you, so you're living life, but it's in black and white. But when you believe that there's an Almighty, when you understand there's a creator of the universe, when you see His hand in all that happens, then all of a sudden, life comes alive. You're now living life in full HD color. Um, you, you know, the language he uses is that nature and the world are singing the song of Amuna. Every bird's chirp and every leaf that changes color, not here in South Florida, but every leaf that changes color and every world event, even if they seem complicated or you're disappointed in them. But everything that happens sings the song of Amuna when you live in a life where you don't just see things as randomness and chance, but you choose to take that leap and so, it sometimes often requires a leap um, to see life with, uh, with Emunah. Okay, so that brings us up. I don't want to review everything you said. Let's, let's continue. We're on page Membez, which is the next page in the booklet. And he begins here with the Rambam. Harambam poseach dvarav besifro, Mishnah Torah, Yisoda Yisodos, Vaamara Chachmos, Leida Shish, Shematsoi Rishon, Vuhumamsi Konimsa. The Rambam begins Yisoda Torah. Actually, learning this with uh, my daughter Tamar for her bat mitzvah. We've been going through Hilchos Yisodei Torah. Figure if you're becoming the age of mitzvahs, so you should learn the foundations of Torah, which are Amuna. So the Rambam begins that the foundation of foundations and the pillar of wisdom is to know that there is a first cause, that there is a source for all that exists. How do you explain it to an 11, soon to be 12 year old? It's very simple. You say, Tamar, where did you come from? I came from you and mommy. Where did we come from? Well, Sab and Safta and Babi and Zaidi. And where did they come from? And you keep going and going and going. You say, get back to, not that they can name it, but if you were to trace it theoretically all the way back, you say, and where did that first person come from? Huh, that's a good question. Well, the answer is, that's what Hashem is. When you wonder what is Hashem, Hashem is when you trace that trail all the way back and there's no one who comes before Him, He is the beginning of everything, that's Hashem. Now, what does it mean there's nothing who comes before Him? That's when you start to get dizzy and get a headache. That's when you start to scramble and, uh, and uh, you're in trouble and it's your child. But it's complicated. We don't know. We can't identify. We don't relate to what it means to not have a beginning. We live in a world and operate in a world where everyone we know has a beginning. They have a middle. 
And at some point, hopefully after 120, they have an end. We operate within time. Time is one of the creations of the world. We recently read Bereshis. Bereshis, Baray, Elohim, Esa, Shemayim, Vesaretz. And the Vilna Gon and others say, what is the first creation? It's not the Shemayim, Vesaretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But that's not the first creation. It's a mistake. It's a misnomer. What was the first creation? Bereshis. Time. Bereshis, Baray, Elohim. God created the beginning. Because before that, there was no beginning and middle and end. There was no yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There was no past, present, and future. Ah, so okay, I got that. God is not bound by time. So what is He? I have no idea. I can't relate to it. I can't identify with it. I can't describe it to you. I have no idea. I just know what He's not. I've told you before that the Rambam writes, we can't describe what God is because we can't relate to it. All we can describe is what God is not. He's not bound by time, he's not bound by space, he's not limited, he's not emotional, he doesn't have any physical features. We could talk about what Hashem isn't, we can't talk about what he is, because if we could, we would be him. He is unique, he is singular, he is one, he's Hashem Echad, which means that nobody can compare, nobody can even comprehend what he is. So the foundation of foundations, Yesod HaYesodos, Amun HaChachmos, the core of all wisdom, and living a life of wisdom, is to accept, is to believe, is to know that Hashem is the first cause of all that exists. I, I can't exactly explain it. I can't really unpackage that fully. That's okay. You don't have to. You just have to know that we don't exist randomly or by chance. There may or may not have been a Big Bang. If there was a Big Bang, it doesn't conflict with our belief system. See Dr. Joe Schroeder's books. But whether there was a Big Bang or no Big Bang, there was a cause to that Big Bang. The Big Bang did not erupt spontaneously, abruptly, out of nowhere. Our belief is that if we trace things all the way back, there's a Matsui Rishon. There's a first cause. This is not a uniquely Jewish argument. St. Thomas Aquinas, I still remember a little bit from that intro to philosophy class I took at Moya, but um, with Rabbi Walter Wurzberger. Zechron Levracha, a wonderful man, rabbi, scholar. So there's a first cause and, uh, for all that exists. Okay, continuing. So just like the foundation of life, you could be blinding, groping through life and feel you're a victim of chance and not understand why anything happens, or you could live a life of purpose and meaning and confidence that even that which is difficult and, and, and you don't welcome, but... It's reassuring and it's, and it's comforting to know that it wasn't an accident, that everything happens. So just like it's the foundation of life, it's the foundation of Torah and serving Hashem. The beginning of everything is to know that there's Hashem in general. And to know that Hashem has shlita, that Hashem has dominion over the entire world. Nobody can, not even our president-elect, can overpower the Almighty. Nobody can change his decision. Right? Hashem's decisions are his decision. We weren't having class during Hurricane Matthew, which Baruch Hashem passed us by, and we still daven for those who were negatively affected by it. But it, it's an amazing thing to me. The Gemara says in the beginning of Tainus that, that Hashem gives the keys to all the world. And he says, go conquer my world. He created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, and he said, Go. I've given you knowledge and wisdom and curiosity, inquisitiveness. Go conquer the world. Go invent uh, GPS systems and cell phones and Tesla cars and <laughs> rocket ships and go to the moon. Go, go conquer the world. But the Gemara says that when God gave us that key, those keys originally, he held on to three. And what were the three he didn't give us? 
He didn't give us the key to fertility. He didn't give us the key to weather, to rain. And he didn't give us the key to tchiyas amesim, the ability to bring the dead back to life. In essence, the common denominator of all three, it's really one, he didn't give us the key to life. So you go speak to, um, speak to an IVF specialist and they'll tell you that they've become experts in mixing the ingredients, but whether the dish actually takes or not, it, they can't predict. My next door neighbor, Dr. Matulski, runs a fertility lab and he will tell you that he sometimes, in, in the course of a day, he'll mix the sperm and the egg, he'll create that zygote, the blastocyst, he'll, he'll wait a few days to see how, how it uh, develops, and you know, he'll do two couples at the same time, and one look like the most unhealthy pre-embryos. There's not a chance. But this couple spent $30,000, and they don't have more eggs to harvest, and it is what it is. So you do what you can do, and you implant them, and you hope for the best, but they look like they don't have a shot. There's nothing symmetrical or healthy or, or optimistic about them. And the other, they've got eight pre-embryos that look gorgeous, magnificent, you know, they are the valedictorian of their high school class already. So really, there your challenge is, which one should we put in? How many should we put in? Because they're all so amazing and beautiful. And he'll tell you that so many times, the ones that look like they don't have a fighting chance produce the healthiest, most beautiful children. And the ones that looked perfect, unfortunately, don't yield a successful pregnancy. And he, who spends his entire life in that laboratory, will tell you that in the end of the day, he throws his hands up and he says... He mixes the ingredients, tries to put them in the oven, but whether it comes out is up to, I'm sorry to uh, describe it in those terms, but whether it comes out or not is entirely up to Hashem. So that's fertility. But the one that was so striking to me with Matthew is, we live in this age where we can do anything. It's unbelievable what we can control and manipulate and predict, and yet, and yet, a hurricane's coming, and they have no clue where it's going to hit, when it's going to hit, how big it'll be, how fast those winds will turn, and even more, they can't make it go away. Can't you like blow up a bomb and redirect it? Can't you like create a big fan, a super fan? Can't we, with all of our technology, there's nothing we can do. So we have all the technology in the world and we're still all hunkering down and buying flashlights and generators and hurricane-proof and shutters. Because when, it's, when the Ribbono Shalom, when nature sends that, that wind your way, there's nothing you can do. And we've not been able to overcome death. Death is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much fame you have, how smart you are. When illness or death come your way, there's nothing we can do to overcome them. So Hashem gave us the keys to His world, but He held on to those three. And we can try to wrestle them away from Him, but we're unsuccessful. And look at our generation who have, part, who have made such progress in technology in every area but the weather. Weathermen, they're just, they're just guessing. They have no idea. So that's what the Zohar is saying. The foundation of life is to realize that Hashem is shlita ila'a, ribon alma. He's the master of the universe. Ubara alman kulu. He created the whole world. Shmaya the heavens and the earth. alma. So the foundation of life is to understand that there is a creator of the universe and there is accountability to him. There is a creator of the universe. We have a relationship with him and we have accountability to him. Just like it would be absurd for a child to say when they reach a certain age, you know what? I don't believe you're my parents. I think I came into existence through spontaneous generation. I have no relationship with you and I have no accountability to you and I owe you nothing. You'd look at that child and you'd say, you're a moron. You're a moron. You did not come into being spontaneously. 
you wouldn't be here without them, and you wouldn't be here without their nurturing and loving and caring you in your infancy. And you absolutely should have a relationship with them, but whether or not you choose a relationship with them, there's an accountability to the decisions you make towards them. And that's the same thing with us. You can say, I came into being spontaneously. I have no, there is no creator, there is no God, and I have no relationship with him. You can choose to say that. That doesn't make it true. Says, uh, the Pasuk says, This is the gate to Hashem, the righteous come. That this verse that we say in Hallel, that verse in Hallel is talking about the, the character trait of Emuna. By the way, notice I just called it the character trait of Emuna, which we've talked about previously also. Many think that Emuna is a philosophy. When do you talk about faith? In philosophy 101. In that highfalutin machshava shir I learned. You know, it's philosophy. But Emuna is not philosophy. Emuna is a character trait. I can be patient or impatient. I can be quick to anger, slow to anger. I can be jealous and envious, or I can be happy with what I have. And I can live life with faith, or I can live life in denial that there's a God. Amuna is not a philosophical leap. Amuna is a character trait. In the same way that we work on our other character traits, we work on Amuna. And what makes one righteous person greater than another? What determines the levels of righteousness? is the level of emuna. It's not how many blot gemara you learned, or how much chesed you did, or how much shtaka you gave. It's not how many chumras you observe, but it's how much you feel and see and sense Hashem in your life, and you are committed to Him. Chabakuk, the Navi, the Prophet says, Tzadik, a righteous person, lives through his emuna. What makes the person righteous? What gives them the energy and the power and the happiness of life? Living life with emuna. I've seen rich people who are miserable and I've seen poor people who are the happiest go lucky I've ever seen. I'll never forget, I was walking home with Shul. Somebody doesn't live here anymore. I was once walking home with Shul with somebody with tattered clothing and I happened to know that they struggle with real poverty and they needed the community support and help. And the way there was a a skip in his walk and talking to his kids. He was telling them about the Parsha and these stories about Tzadikim and it just seems so happy and every time you talk to him it's just so happy and life is so great and you want to say, you hold up a mirror, like life is so great. You got a lot of challenges, buddy. Do you not realize them? And then you have other people with wealth and all the money in the world and time and, and they're just so unhappy and miserable. So it's It's understanding that there is a higher being, things are not random, one has what they need, what are our, to calibrate our priorities and our values and our, how we measure happiness, all of it comes through Amun. Amun is the core of everything. Another Pasuk in Mishle says that the righteous person falls seven times, but they get up. So the psukim in Mishle in Proverbs contrast the righteous person can fall seven times, they get up, no problem. The wicked person falls one time, KO, it's a knockout. They're out for the count. They can't get off the mat. What's the difference between them, says Islam Rabbi? The righteous person is driven by a sense of emuna. There's Hashem. He believes in me. I believe in Him. I have, a, I have a mission to accomplish in this world. So you know what? Yeah, I got knocked down. 
I fell down, I gave into that temptation, I gave into that urge, I looked at or ate or said or did that which I know better from and I shouldn't have done. But you know what? I can get up because Hashem gives me the power and the strength. If He believes in me, I believe in me. And I have a mission to accomplish. So I can do it. So when you know that you have the best manager in your corner, when you have the best audience spectators rooting you on, when you have the best trainer who you believe has given you everything you need to win, you can keep getting off the mat no matter how many times you're knocked down. But if you're all alone in that corner, you have no manager, you have no trainer, and you have no one rooting for you, and you don't believe in yourself, you get knocked down once, you're done. You're out for the count. So the Son of is describing these psukim, the righteous person can get knocked down seven times. The wicked, one time and they're out. And what's the difference between them? Is a sense of emuna. Emuna is empowering. It gives you strength. It gives you confidence. It gives you courage. It gives you faith. It gives you all these tools which are necessary to endure the sometimes hard situations that life throws your way or the self-imposed mistakes that we all make and fell prey to. If we believe in ourselves and we know Hashem believes in us, then we have the ability to keep getting up. We're on the second paragraph. Amru. Our great rabbis, may their memory be a blessing, say, This is going to be, stay with me here a little bit. But the Salam Rebbe, here we come with some Hasidish uh, Kabbalistic uh, view. But he says, Emuna gives us the capacity to transcend nature. Nature dictates certain things will happen. But if you live with emuna, you have the strength and the power and you can invoke bracha from Hashem that can transcend nature. This great Rebbe used to be able to create all kinds of wonders and miracles when he would employ his sense of emuna in his heart and he would tap into the depths and the profundity of that emuna, he was able to transcend and supersede certain natural limitations. And at times when he would feel that the person that he was offering, who came to him for a bracha and he was trying to help, that they didn't have that level of emuna. He would recite the animamin over and over and over with that person. I forgot which Rebbe and I forgot the story, so I'm going to butcher both. But what's the story? Maybe the stipler. Someone came to the stipler for a bracha. They were in the hardest situation. And I forgot how the stipler manipulated the conversation, but basically said, I can't give you a bracha, only you can daven. And the person, no, 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 but I understand that you have to give me a bracha. I came to you, they said that my child will only get better if you get... And he explained... Have you davened? I can't give you a bracha. Have you da- No, no, no. Forget my davening. Yeah, I daven, I daven, I daven. Forget that. But I understand that your bracha is the only thing that I need. Please, yeah, with desperation. And the stipler was trying, I think it was the stipler. The Baal It was the Baal Tanya. Two weeks in Tanya, chapter 26. Psh. <laughs> just because you learn all day long and all day long. So... Well, the stipler, the Baal Tanya, both, neither. But the, the idea was... The idea was that how often, how often do even do we, how often do we think I have to do the skula, I have to put the key in the challah, wear the red bendel, do the thing, I have to get a bracha, I have to send my name in, I have to give this up, I have to take that shortcut. I daven it, ah yeah yeah, maybe I daven, maybe I don't daven. I talk during davening, I leave davening, I come davening late. Ah. 
Davening, yeah, yeah, but did I do that shortcut? Did I do that, did I do that uh, often counterfeit and um, superstitious route? So even a chassidere, and we have a tradition about brachos. Brachos we don't minimize. The Gemara says that birchos hediot atiyakala beinacha. Don't minimize even the bracha of a simple person. Somebody gives you a bracha, they're invoking blessing from Hashem. Don't, min- don't, don't reject it. Even the bracha of a very simple person, of a child, is a very powerful force. So we don't at all minimize or reject bracha, but the bracha can't begin to compare or compete with the power every one of us has inside us to turn to Hashem with a sense of desperation. Whatever that desperation you have for that one doctor who's the mumcha who could take care of you or your child, whatever that desperation to get into that Rebbe or that Gadol or that Tamar Chacham to get the bracha, well, that you could have if you just close your eyes. In shul or out of shul. Take your three steps back and three steps forward or don't even open a sitter. Just talk to Hashem from your heart. But when we tap into that koach emuna, when we show Hashem that unbelievable faith, that unbridled faith in that moment that the desperation ultimately is directed towards him, then incredible things can happen. And, and yes, he's writing this from a chassidish perspective, but this is what the Rambam writes. The Rambam says that hashkacha pratis, God's providence, God's influence in our lives is directly proportional to our belief in him. Or put differently, if you don't think God exists and you think that all that dictates the world are the rules of nature, so God says, no problem. Let me pull back. All yours, the rules of nature. Let's see how, now you're a statistic. Now you're a piece of data. Now it's randomness. Now let's see. And when you say, God, I could care less about the data and I could care less about the statistics, but I believe in you. And I don't care what they're telling me and I don't care what my chances are. Not that we should ever not be realistic and so on. I'm not endorsing giving people false hope. Should never ever give people false hope. But when when a person says, Hashem, despite... I'm realistically looking at the data and statistics, but despite that, I'm holding out hope and the knowledge that you, you can do everything. So then the Rambam says that the Hashgacha Pratis, God's intervening in nature, suspending the rules of nature to intervene in our life, is directly related, it's proportional to the amount of emuna that we show in Him. Vuapi Maimar Chazal, the Yalkut Shimoni in Hosea. Amuna is synonymous with redemption. Why were we liberated from Egypt? Because we believed, finally. At first we didn't. When Moshe first came down, they say, they, they couldn't hear him. They, they couldn't hear him. What are you talking about? There's a God who's going to take us out. Are you kidding? This is the only reality we know. We don't know any differently. Leave us alone. But after Hashem showed his hand in Mitzrayim, and they could no longer deny it, they were ready to take that leap of Amuna. And it was in the merit of finally recognizing there's a creator, there's a first cause, there's a being, he's involved in our lives, he craves a relationship, he loves us, we love him, we have accountability. Finally accepting all that is what merited that redemption, and it's only when we feel that again that we'll merit the future redemption. This ability to overcome the natural order, the briskarov, the Velvel Salavechik. Rabbi Salavechik from YU's uncle used to say that uh, he had, it's a skula, but it's not a skula. What was the skula? That if you're ever in a difficult circumstance, if you're ever worried, you should just repeat the phrase over and over again, Ein od milvado. 
There is nothing but him. There is no one but him. And he tells the story, actually, that uh, running away from the beginning of the Nazis, anti-Semites, and he was on a train, and they came on the train, and they thought he was gonna, they were going to uh, confront him, knowing who he was, and he was going to be persecuted, and he just sat there and closed his eyes and said over and over and over and over, Ein od Milvada. Now again, were there people who had an unbelievable emunah who were murdered by the Nazis yes. in the Holocaust? Yes. yes, likely millions of them. Do I mean to suggest that there's a direct correlation that if you have the amuna, then you have no infertility and no cancer and no marital problems and no health problems and no anti-Semitism? I'm not suggesting that whatsoever. Whatsoever. However, whatever does come our way, we have the toolkit to handle it and hopefully to overcome it. And if not, at least to be able to endure it when we employ amuna. So the Briska Rav said, it's not, it's not a skula in the sense that it's something shticky. It's a prayer. That expression, that phrase, when you're really worried, when something's not going to go right, it's really just actually an exercise in mindfulness. We spoke about on Shabbat Shuvah. Is that when your mind begins to race and go in a million directions about, now I'm late, and what if the plane doesn't take off, and what if it's delayed, and this traffic is going to destroy me, and I'm waiting to get back to the biopsy, and what's going to be with that? So your mind races in a gazillion and ten different directions. And because it does and it's way ahead of you, it comes to every conclusion there is out there. What it means for your marriage, what it means for your children, what it means for your health, what it means for your parnasa, what it means for the state of Israel, what it means for the future of America, what it means for, right? If you allow your mind to race, you can come to, what was that Mark Twain quote? I have endured a million horrible things in my life, just none of them ever happened. Wow. It's an amazing, uh, it's not, that wasn't exactly the quote. But I've endured, I've, I've endured countless horrific things in my life, just none of them ever happened. It's a great quote. So how do, you, how do we come back to neutral? How do you center your mind? How do you come back to a place of, of equilibrium? So the Briskorov's advice is, when your mind races, ain't od milvada. Just keep repeating that mantra. It's really a, med- it's a meditation. It's a mindfulness meditation exercise. You're worried about the result, you're worried about the traffic, you're worried about the flight delay, you're worried about the parnasa, you're worried about the ain od milvado. You keep coming back to, you know what, I have to do the best I can, I have to do everything in my power, but beyond that, ain od milvado. There is nothing but him. It's great. Put it on your dashboard of your car, and put it on your kitchen, and put it on your nightstand, and put it in the mirror in your bathroom. Ain od milvado. Just keep coming back to that. I do the best I can, I do everything that's in my power, and after that, there is nothing but Him. It is all Him. We should make up cards or stickers to give out. It's very nice because it's so short. Yeah. And even within Amuna is, even if a person doesn't have Amuna with clarity, and this is a very important point that he's making here that I want to make. You could come to these classes and have the incorrect perception. You know, Goldberg is giving all these talks about Amuna. Wow, he must have unbelievable Amuna. He lives with pure faith. Everything's perfect. He sees Hashem all the time. So first of all, I give all these classes because I'm working on Amuna. And the best way to work on Amuna is to be mindful of Amuna. And the best way to be mindful of Amuna is to keep talking about Amuna. But I want to make something very clear. Everyone, almost everyone, everyone, certainly I, have moments of doubt. They're, people are not honest with you if they tell you that every minute of every single day there's nothing but Hashem, everything's pure faith, everything's all good. Everyone has moments of saying, really? Why Hashem? 
If you're there, why would you do this? Are you there? I'm looking for you. I don't feel you. I want to feel you. I want to connect with you. I'm looking for you. And I want to understand you. And I'm protesting against you. So everyone goes through their ups and downs. In fact, it's this week's Parsha. In this week's Parsha, Avram has the Akedah. Hashem says to him, take your son, your only son, your precious son. It's not his only son, but it's the only son from that wife. It's not the only son he loves. It's a beautiful Rashi. It says, Take your son. Okay, so he knows which one. Avram says, which son? He says, Yechidcha. He says, your only son. He says, I have two only sons. One's my only one from Hagar, one's my only one from Sarah. Asher Hafta, the one you love. This is the beautiful part. Avram says, I love both. Hashem says, fine, it's Yitzchak. <laughs> That's the point. You read that Rashi, you read Rashi and you can feel Hashem's exasperation. Like, okay, enough. Like, you know who I'm talking about. What do you have to play this game for me? Take your son. I have two sons. The only son. I love them both. There's a lot to talk about in next week's Pasha when Avram dies and Yishmael comes to the funeral. Yishmael has been expelled from the house. He's been exiled. He's been rejected. How does he show up at the funeral? It has a lot to do with this Asherah Hafta. Because he knew, as far away as he was from his father, that Asherah Hafta, that his father never stopped loving him. But that's a whole other discussion. So God tells Avram, take that son that I promised through whom you will build a legacy and, and transform the world. You know that son that was going to build your family and make you a name in the stars and the sand and all that stuff? Remember that son? I'd like you to take a knife and slit his throat. That's a test. I'd say that's a big test. And um, why would Hashem give him that test? I, I'd like to believe, I, I, I uh, follow the commentaries who say God never intended it, but God gave that test for a very simple reason. Avram's intuition was to do chesed. Avram was kulo chesed. He was a person of loving kindness. He was predisposed, he had an intuition and an instinct to love. Love, 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 love. Three, talking to God, you're inter- we spoke about the parashashir yesterday, you're interrupted by three strangers who come up and you tell God, could you wait a few minutes, I've got to take care of these strangers. You just love everybody. You love everybody. Love, love, love is what pushed Avram. So God says, how do I know that Avram is really serving me with that love? Maybe he loves because he's just a lover. That's who he is. He's a lover. He's a child of the 60s. He's a lover. (laughs) How do I know that the love is really because he's directing it towards the service of me? So Hashem says, you know how I'm going to test him? I'm going to ask him to do something that's the opposite of love. And let's see whether he really does it all for me or does it all because... That's his instinct. If he's willing to and able to do even that which comes unnaturally, it means that which comes naturally is also for me. So Hashem says, take your son and slit his throat. Hashem never meant it. He wasn't going to fall through on it. But he wanted to know whether Avram was willing to say yes. And when Hashem says jump, he says how high, even when it's... And that's why when the Malach says, stop, he says, Ate now I know, that you have Yira. I always knew you had Ava. Avram, I always knew you were a lover. But I didn't know if you had awe. I didn't know if you were able to do this. Yaakov's intuition, what's Yaakov's character trait? Titain, MS Yaakov. Yaakov is all about truth. Honesty, truth. He can't tell a lie no matter what. Hashem says, it's wonderful that you have this instinct and intuition towards truth. How do I know it's directed to me? How will I know? There's only one way. I'd like you to dress up like your brother and go lie to your father. Let's see. Let's see. So we all have, we're all predisposed with certain intuition and instinct. And to direct that towards Hashem is somewhat easy. 
But can we also do that which comes unnaturally, that which is uncomfortable? That's the test that each of the Avos went through, and, um, and that's what, what revealed to Hashem what was, uh, what was really happening. So why am I telling you all this? Let's come back. So Hashem says to Avram, take your son, go to the top of the mountain, do what you got to do. And it says, on the third day, Avram arrives. What happened during those three days? Text leaves it out. What happened during those three days? So the Medrash fills in. And the Medrash tells us that Avram encountered all these phenomena that tried to convince him, don't go through with this. What are you, crazy? So he tried to cross the river, and the river went high, high, high up to his neck. And he had to wade his way through it. And he tried to cross the mountain, and he tried to this, and he encountered that person. And the Medrash describes each of these things that tried to block his way. And Nechama Leibovitz, Allah Shalom, Zechorna Levracha, in her, in her parish, has a beautiful explanation of this Medrash. And she describes that the Medrash is not talking about natural phenomena. The river didn't come alive and talk to Avram. The Medrash is really talking about all these things that happened in Avram's head. That every step of the way, Avram had these thoughts that were haunting him that said, don't do this. Hashem loves you. He would never want you to really do this. And he made that promise to you. He can't really want this. And every step he took, he started doubting. Doubt plagued him for three days. And he had to overcome the doubt each step till finally, finally it was the third day and he put one foot in front of the other and he arrived. And Avram becomes a precedent for us of being able to live with doubt. We don't encourage doubt. We don't introduce doubt. We don't dwell on the doubt. But we allow for doubt. To, to believe in Hashem and Muna, this class to be successful doesn't mean well, it's only successful if we have unbridled, unquestioned emuna 24-7, 365 the rest of our life. We hear news, we endure challenges, we experience pain, and it's only natural that little doubts creep in, our own or we hear of others, and little doubt creeps in. That's okay, Avram had those doubts creep in, and Avram put one foot in front of the other until he arrived. Struggling with the doubt is actually what yields greater faith. There's room for doubt in faith. I actually think that a faith that has no doubt in some ways is a fake faith. If you live this life in this world with what this world throws at you and you've never had a moment of doubt, <clears throat> I'm not sure how authentic your faith is. A faith which never had doubt could be a very superficial lip service counterfeit faith. Again, we're not searching for doubt or introducing doubt or let's sit around skeptically talking about all the reasons not to believe in Hashem. Right? We're not introducing doubt, but a doubt that uh, a faith that never had doubt, I'm not sure about. There, we have a concept called emuna pshuta. I'm not talking about that right now. But a sophisticated, a sophisticated emuna has also had confrontations or tension with doubt, and that's what the Rebbe is saying here. The Salam Rebbe is saying, "In madayin lohisig madregas emuna bihira." You're not yet at a point of a pure, clear, unquestioned faith. Ela mechapesu. You're looking, you're searching, you're asking, you're curious. He's going to continue with this. What the Islam Rebbe says is, You've arrived at faith by struggling with faith. In other words, the destination is not one of pure faith. The destination is 
searching to live with faith. So you can be the skeptic and the cynic who sees everything in your life as the excuse and the argument, the evidence that there's no Hashem. Or you could be the searcher who's looking around through life every day for all of the evidence that there is a Hashem. The goal is not necessarily or not necessarily achievable to get to a point of absolutely there's Hashem, there's no doubt, there's no questions, there's no anything. That's very, very difficult. That's very, very challenging. That's not necessarily the goal. The goal is to be struggling with faith, to be engaged in the struggle, to be living with that tension, to be a searcher, to be looking, to be interpreting the world through the prism of Amuna. How do I make sense of what has happened? What does this reveal about Hashem, about His greatness, about His will? How can I do all of that? Okay, we're going to stop here. We'll pick it up. I think next week I'm going to a wedding next Wednesday, flying in the morning, so I don't think we're having class. But the week after, Mirz Hashem, we'll, uh, we'll pick it up. Yes, questions. You want your questions recorded or not recorded? I don't. Okay, question. Uh, you mentioned about finding comfort in Amuna in spite of difficult situations. Yes. Even though you don't question your Amuna, how do you find the comfort? I'll tell you what I meant by that. I, I've, I've lived a very blessed life. Very blessed life. Pli Ayin Hara. One of the hardest things I went through is when... Um, when in between my second and third children, my wife had a stillbirth. Turned out it was a boy. But anyway, it was a very hard time. And, and living through that, in retrospect, we're blessed seven healthy, amazing, beautiful kids, and it's nothing compared to the hardship and challenges that people go through. I'm only sharing it because it, was, it, it brought this to light for me. I vividly remember going through that, that the only thing that gave me comfort and strength was the confidence that this wasn't random, it wasn't a fluke, that this was somehow directed from Hashem. What was the reason, what was the cause? Everyone tries to offer their comforting well, things. where was the comfort? The comfort was that, it I'm not, I'm saying if you go through pain for no reason at all, random. it's random, so then that's, that, that just compounds victim, your pain. But if you say, I'm going through pain, but there is, there's a greater there's reason, a reason this it. pain is going to lead to the birth of something greater. I may see it, I may never see it, I may understand it, I may never understand it, but I know that pain is never random, and pain is never without a reason. Then I know that every moment of pain I can endure because it's going to lead to a greater pleasure, a greater, a greater reason. So I don't know. People who are going through truly hard times, if you don't believe in God, I don't know how you get through it. So God forbid someone's diagnosed with something terrible, so what? They're supposed to find comfort and courage by saying, well, I'm a statistic. X percent of the population get this illness and I'm one of those X percent and X percent will get better and I may or may not be one of those X percent that get better. And X percent get the side effects and I may or not be one of those X percent. And you know what? There's no meaning. There's no order. There's no, there's no meaning to my pain. I'm just suffering because I'm a random statistic. I don't know how that person finds the strength to go. Whereas if someone says, I hate this pain. I object to this pain. God, I'm protesting you're giving me or someone I love this pain. I will do everything in my power to relieve this pain and to get rid of this pain. But if in the end of the day there's pain, there's a, there's a reason. It's not a fluke. That pain is going to give birth to something better, greater. There's reason. There's order. That's what I meant by that.
Someone else had a question or comment? Okay. Everyone have a great day.